politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow beleaguered aliens to this show. Yes, you are the illegal aliens. The illegal aliens are the citizens. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house at Conservative Review Podcast for Thursday in this era of stolen sovereignty. Well, as you all know, yours truly wrote a book, Stolen Sovereignty, How to Stop Unelected Judges from Transforming America. I warned, I warned you guys. This was nearly five years ago. Five years ago to the month is when the courts redefined marriage in America. And I warned you guys that we have an opportunity to get a Republican president. This was 2015. Summer of 2015 is when my book came out. And I said, unless you push back against the notion of judicial supremacism and push the next GOP president into decompartmentalism, which is using executive power to push back against the courts and argue that they do not have the final say over political issues affecting the whole of the people, then nothing will matter. Because the left had reached a point where they will lie, cheat, steal, and now we see murder, riot, rob to get what they want. And they will just get what they want in the courts and it will render elections completely moot. And I wrote a thesis along with that in 2016. I published August 2nd, 2016. You could Google it. 20 reasons why the federal judiciary is irremediably broken. And again, the thesis was that simply appointing better judges, Republican judges, is not only not going to help, but it's going to further fuel the legitimacy. See, there's one thing if like Democrats come and say, all right, here's the rule of the game. We get to cheat. You have to we you have to score four points more than us in a game in order to win. And the other side normally would say, right away, you stuff that in the hole. You say, no, that's illegitimate. I'm not, I'm not playing by those rules. You delegitimize it. But if you say, hey, you know, you're right. I have to win by four. But you know what? I really think I could win the game. Same thing here. Yeah, you know, you're right. The judiciary stands on top of the other two branches. Whatever they say is law, not the law, not the Constitution. The other two branches, the states have no ability to push back. Um, But I'm going to get my judges. And you frantically work and you get rid of some of the procedures in the Senate. And you stuff the Democrats by, by pushing judges. And then you lose. Well, where does that leave you now? I'm going to read to you later an article I wrote. An article I wrote right after Trump got elected. This was November 15th, 2016. A week after. Warning about this very thing. And how it's much better to use your political capital making a deal with Democrats saying, look, let's take the politics out of judicial nominees. But let's take by, by taking politics out of the courts. You could get your nominees all you want. But just know that if they issue an opinion redefining sex, redefining marriage, redefining citizenship, just know that is not the end all. Okay? So I just want to first start off with 
obviously the fact that we are living in biblical times. Our economy, our liberty, our security, our values, our rule of law are flipped on its head. Alien is citizen, citizen is alien. Man is woman, woman is man. Criminal is victim, victim is criminal. Cop is robber, robber is cop. Everything is 180 degrees backwards. I really need a separate show to discuss everything going on now. Each hour is like an entire week. Each week is like a year. Each year is like a century now in the news cycle. But in each one, the left is winning irrevocably. Hundred-year battles that have to do with the future orientation of our country, mankind, society, family, law, borders, overnight without firing a shot. And they're winning it with Trump as president, with Republicans in control of more state legislatures, with Republicans in control of the Senate, with all these much-vaunted lower court judges, and with the so-called conservative Supreme Court, which by now everyone realizes what I, re- what I warned you about. But I want to comment and juxtapose the two big news events that just occurred in the last really less than 24 hours. And that is the reverse Jim Crow prosecution of cops for defending themselves in Atlanta. And this latest Supreme Court decision saying that Trump must grant affirmative resident documents, social security cards, work permits to people who pursuant to law, laws that the Supreme Court said for 130 years are emphatically the province of the political branches of government and they have no ability to grant standing to illegal aliens. Laws that say they must be deported. And really the two are very linked. How so? Because what we, ha- what we are living in now is mob rule, where the left will claw, bite, scratch, beat, do everything they can proverbially, sometimes literally, in the case of the rioters, to get what they want. And where Republicans will indulge it and legitimize it every step of the way, and the more you service it, the more they get. They're rooted in the same things. A lot of people are messaging me, Daniel, do you think Obama had some sort of like investigation on Roberts and got him to flip? There must be some scandal with Roberts. And I think some of you, with all due respect, I think you're missing the point. You're not understanding who John Roberts is. And to a certain extent, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. And to some extent, even Alito, depending on the time. The so-called conservative judges are merely a reflection of the so-called conservative elected presidents, cabinet members, senators, congressmen, governors, and down on onto the system. In that they believe in things, assuming they even believe in them academically. But in practice, the more extreme and truculent and even violent the left gets, the scareder, the more scared they get the more fearful they get. Meaning rather than, oh my gosh, the left is so unreasonable, we could easily take our case to the American people. No. They're scared. This was mob rule. DACA, and, and the fact that we're even calling it DACA, like, like, like an acronym, it's like LGBT, it's like we create, notice how they create these acronyms, like, like it gives it an aura of legitimacy, like it's a statute. It's antithetical to a statute. 
It's antithetical to a statute. But we treat it, our society treated it like God's gift. The dreamers. And by the way, just, just, you know, just so you know, 80,000 of them had arrest records. Okay. So like, remember all this crime we talk about, you know, like half of the homicides in New York City being from denied detainers of illegal aliens. They ain't coming from the 80-year-old illegal aliens. They're going to come from the 20-year-old ones, okay? Those are your dreamers. I mean, I, I just, I never understood how there's somehow this notion how, like, the younger ones that were brought here, you know, it's uh, somehow they're cut above. And I'm sick of hearing this of no fault of their own. Yeah, but it's also of no fault of our own either that the government, our government and the government of Mexico didn't enforce our laws. And that every time we do it, it spawns a massive migration of people bringing children. That's bad for them. It's bad for us. It spawned the worst MS-13 crisis. DACA spawned the worst MS-13 crisis in this country ever. We're still paying for it with the unaccompanied minors joining MS-13. So I don't want to hear about this. Oh, like they're, they're the victims. I'm sick of it. But irrespective of the politics, this has nothing to do with politics. This had to do with the fact that the mob, meaning all of the masters of the universe ruled that this is like, you're like KKK if you don't support DACA. Roberts gave in to the mob. In the recesses of his brain, of course, he doesn't believe that somehow the law compels, the law allows such a statute, much less compels Trump to continue what Obama did. I mean, it's literally illogical. Like, you could theoretically say, you know, it's lawful for you to, to promulgate an executive policy, but you didn't follow the APA. But the problem is, he rescinded it in the same way Obama promulgated it. It's garbage in, garbage out. They're literally saying, see, remember, this has nothing to do with immigration or DACA. They're saying that anything a liberal president does cannot be rescinded. I'm not kidding you. An Alaska federal judge said that Obama's, Obama just locked up 98% of the Outer Continental Shelf from drilling. He put on his own executive moratorium. Trump just took it off. A judge literally said that, what do you mean? Obama meant for it to be permanent. You can't do that. Only an act of Congress could rescind it. I mean, I, it's unbelievable. But it's not unbelievable. Because if you tell Ilhan Omar or Ocasio-Cortez that everything you wanted to do in the House of Representatives now that you couldn't do because you have no power there. But if you get on a bench, you could do whatever the hell you want. And Republicans and conservative law professors, so-called conservatives, and, and, and even conservative media would treat it as, quote, the law of the land. Well, why wouldn't you do it? And you don't face electoral reprisal. It's the perfect system. I don't blame them. It's not the judge's fault. It's our fault. If you have a 100-pound woman... Tell a professional boxer, I'm going to beat you up. Well, if you allow yourself to be controlled by that, then that's your, your problem. That's what Hamilton meant in Federalist 78 when he said the courts have neither force nor will and they depend upon the efficacy, the aid of the executive branch to give it effect. That's what he meant. That wasn't a bug. It was a feature that they didn't give the courts of the police. They gave it to the executive branch. Meaning the same way the executive branch could put aside an act of Congress or a policy of the executive if he feels it's unconstitutional. I believe in that. But likewise, if the other branches 
see a court ruling that they believe is unconstitutional and violates the law, they have an obligation to follow the Constitution and not use their executive powers against the law the same way the court says, I don't want to use my judicial powers against the law. That's what a decompartmentalism means. Now, you could just Google my name, Judicial Supremacy, Judicial Review, and you could see numerous articles and shows on this. A lot of you, I know we've we've, uh, doubled our audience since the lockdown and the rioting and everything. So a lot of you are new and haven't heard all my shows on Judicial Supremacism, my book. But if you haven't gotten it, it's still available. There's there's a few copies left. Um, I, I believe 20 the last time I checked, Stolen Sovereignty. But folks, that's the same thing here. You look at the Atlanta cops. Everyone knows the law compels them to be that that there's no criminal charges. The the guy did nothing wrong. Now now they actually have um 911 um or, or surveillance camera with audio recorded where the guy is actually doing CPR and saying, "Hey, please breathe, Mr. Brooks. Breathe." He was actually helping him. He did everything he could. This animal, Paul Howard, who has two very hardcore detailed sexual harassment um, allegations plus a corruption allegation where he stole, allegedly, funding from anti-gang organization and put it towards his salary and those of his office. This man jumps out ahead of the Georgia Bureau of Investigations before they complete investigation, issues an indictment. And does it for felony murder? And then the other cop too? Because it's all, you know as well as I do, it's mob rule. Now, Paul Howard is part of the mob. But let me take it a step further. This is not Minnesota. There's a Republican governor, Brian Kemp. There's a Republican attorney general that is comes with a lot of high praise from people I trust. He's a law and order guy. Attorney General Carr, C-A-R-R. Where are they? How does this happen in the state of Georgia? Why is it that when we have the presidency and the Senate and all these judicial picks and a governor and the attorney general, federal and state, and both houses of the legislature in in, uh, Georgia, somehow now, oh, no, no, but we don't have the Fulton County DA. So now they have a county garbage collector office. They could run the world. But we can't run it from higher up. Of course they could intervene. They have intervened. In fact, when there was a case of a shooting of someone who was black, they actually recently intervened. They intervene when they want. Why are they not intervening? Because that's who Republicans are. Because they're scared of the mob. And that should send chills down your spine. There's one thing when, 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 like, you know, we disagree and you're like, that's a stupid decision. But you know the guy, at least in his mind, believes it. But it's so scary to think that they know that this is wrong, but they do it anyway to feed a mob. And that's the same thing with John Roberts. Because we don't have a voice at a political level and the masters of the universe at a corporate media cultural level, dictate morality on immigration, on crime, on rule of law, on even human sexuality. Republican judges, Republican governors, Republican senators, and yes, Republican presidents will simply go along with it. 
They are scared of the mob. We have mob rule in this country. That's how the two tie together. You know, if I were attorney general, um, if I were attorney general in Georgia, you know what I would do? I'd say to Paul Howard, hey, you went and jumped out ahead of the Georgia Bureau of Investigations and you indicted these guys before the investigation was complete. So you know what? GBI is currently investigating you. If I were the AG, I would issue an arrest warrant for Paul Howard and say, look, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'll issue an arrest warrant before the investigation is complete, just like you did. Folks, where do we go from here? What we are doing is not working. But the thing is, I'm not even saying to go out and riot and even civil disobedience. I'm saying to merely follow the Constitution and use the tools we have. And let me explain how that works here. Trump tweeted out the most horrible tweet. Literally everything the phony Republicans have been doing, he did it. These horrible and politically charged decisions coming out of the Supreme Court are shotgun blasts in the face of people that are proud to call themselves Republicans or conservatives. And then he, and the next sentence should be, and therefore, as president, I will follow the statute and the Constitution. We have separation of powers for a reason. These are executive powers to issue visas and work permits. They are not um, judicial powers. Instead, he's like, We need more justices or we will lose our Second Amendment. Vote Trump 2020. The scam goes on. It's the next justice. No, the next one. It never ends. The excuses never end. And then, of course, his next tweet. Do you get the impression that the Supreme Court doesn't like me? Dude, it ain't about you. It's about all of us. And frankly, it's not about him. I mean, for some of the district judges... Like the Obama judges, maybe it is. Not Roberts. It's not personal. That's what they do. If it would have been another Republican president rescinding DACA. DACA, just like the homosexual agenda became sacred. Right? They were going to get that result. No matter what the law says. And again, all these things have nothing to do with law. You could be a rabid homosexual. But you can't tell me that the 14th Amendment crafted in 1868 means that a state is not allowed to define marriage when Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy himself, two years prior in Windsor, literally said that the feds can't get involved in marriage because it's a state issue. Even though the feds weren't getting involved, they were only doing it for federal purposes like, like Social Security and immigration, but whatever. But that's the thing. There are certain results that all but your most intrepid conservatives, like a Clarence Thomas, are going to achieve. And with amnesty, with pro-criminal stuff, the sexual jihad, and the ever-increasing things that become off-limits, they will rule that way. And, and it's a Ponzi scheme, too. It's a game. Because everyone, n- notice how, well, what is it? Republicans have had all but um, four SCOTUS picks the last number of decades. If you look by president... It's just the two from Obama and the two from Clinton. Um, But if you look past, I mean, it's pretty much, yeah. I mean, if you look 
if you look back, holy smokes, I mean, if you look back to 1952, okay, 1952, make that your benchmark year. Eisenhower had five. Nixon had four. Ford won. Reagan four, that's 14. George H.W. Bush two, that's 16. Two for W. Bush, that's 18. And two for Trump, that's 20. Okay? Carter had zero. So do you understand that Republicans have had 20 of the last 28 picks at the Supreme Court. And yet we have been slaughtered since 52. I mean, our country has been, our constitution has been remade of the fabric of our society. And it keeps happening. We're always one justice away. Do you know why? Here's the little secret. Notice how Roberts, Roberts is clearly the worst, but, but, you know, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and, and even sometimes Alito, they take turns screwing us. It's a game. So this time around, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh are good because they didn't need his vote. If they would have been the fifth, guess what? Let's say you get like another justice on the Supreme Court. Then one of the other ones will be the new Roberts, which they already are in many cases. Because they're not, go- they don't have the guts it's actually something um, I, I talked to him about it before he put out the statement. I'll never forget when um, um, Ron DeSantis, when he was in Congress, he put out a statement on Gorsuch's uh, nomination. And I know it was inspired by my conversation with him because he put out his, like everyone else was like, this guy is the best thing since sliced bread, even though we knew nothing about him. Like the first 10 people on Twitter, phony conservatives are like, Gorsuch, Gorsuch, Gorsuch. And like, dude, what did the guy ever do in life that like, it's not like Bill Pryor or some of these other judges had some real culture war moments or something. You know, they've said something, a ruling, like there's nothing that great about him. But anyway, he was like, he appears to, you know, have the right jurisprudence. Now let's see if he has the boldness of Scalia and Thomas. And that was the key. It's not just like if you're a law professor in a certain room in a classroom. Yeah, you know, I don't really think the 14th Amendment means this. Yeah, you know, come on. It's kind of concocted. But when you have real life results, which shouldn't be real life results because the courts don't have a final say, but their perception is they do. And that's the current practice. Do you think you're actually going to rule that way? No. Because I can't be a bigot and a racist. The same reason why Republican elected officials don't stand up. The fact that they don't stand for election only shields the liberal ones. The conservative ones are ter- terrified. Except for, it, it takes an extraordinary human being. And that's what, what we've, been, we've been talking about Scalia and Thomas for the last two Republican presidencies. More Scalia's and Thomas's. And we haven't gotten a single one. Alito is the best and even then, that, w- that, that was only a result of a revolt from Laura Ingram and Coulter or some others at the time. We would have had Harry or Myers. We wouldn't have even had him. But he clearly is not as bold. I pointed that out in some cases. And when we have the next case, I'll show you. Nobody is quite as bold. Like, they just didn't care. They didn't care. 
Scalia Thomas, they had their own nuances in the way they looked at law, sometimes even disagreed, but they were never scared of a political issue. Alito, like, Alito is actually sometimes more hardcore than even Thomas in siding against criminals in criminal defendant cases, but there was one case I pointed out last year that was so racially charged. He issued this concurrence. He joined with the majority. It was only Thomas who was against it and he was like you know uh, this case is different and he didn't really explain why it was and and i know he he probably agreed with us but he he just he was too scared and again even now you see like so this time it was gorsuch thomas and alito kavanaugh of course has his own dissent he didn't sign on to thomas's dissent and it was like this, oh, the dream as we care. He even uses immigrant, he uses all their terminology. And like this gratuitous, weird, extra two cents. So you know exactly where he's headed. He's a joke. But folks, I'm not even going to take apart the decision. I think you guys are smart enough that when Hamilton said in Federalist um, 68 that only a king can make denizens of an alien, not a president... Right. There is there's nothing to debate. Like, I don't have to sit and debate that a man is not a woman. OK, it's, it's not even worth going into the nuances of the opinion and the dissent. It's utterly insane. It's mentally ill. Obama just literally nullified immigration law, national sovereignty given over to Congress an enumerated power. Not just says I'm not going to deport them, but take it a step further. I'm going to issue them citizen documents. And then the president just merely just rescinds it. It's mentally ill. But it's the same thing Roberts does with everything, the tortured logic. He did this with the census when he said, yeah, of course, the census is, I mean, the citizenship is the core of the question of the census. It's been done since our founding. It's, it's in the law. It's in the Constitution. He even followed the APA. But I just don't like what you said to a district judge. That's what he does. I warned you, I warned you that we were going to pay for impeachment because Roberts was viewed as like having to preside over that, over Trump's acquittal. I told you we are going to pay for it. I have an article out on that in January. I said, we're going to pay for it. And guess what? We paid for it in spades. We paid for that thing beyond belief. And they have a scorecard. But this is the problem. This is what the left does. They flood the lower courts like California judges with a hundred insane cases on everything that destroys our country. Transgenderism, homosexual agenda, illegal immigration, pro-criminal stuff, you name it. And the California judges side with all of them. So Roberts is able to overturn 30% of them and look conservative but really, you have to overturn all of them because they're all insane. And the more they do that, the more it shifts the arc of the trajectory of the of the cases in the courts so far to the left. And it makes the Republican appointed judges feel bad that like it looks like they're always siding with the right. But like legally, that's what they have to do. Because the left is the one putting all the cases in the courts. And the more they do that, the more it legitimizes it. So what people don't understand, and, and, and again, go back to my article, 12 Reasons Why the Federal Judiciary is Irremediably Broken. Google that, that title with my name, and you'll see one of the reasons I mentioned is that the lower courts are always able to go more to the left. How do you think we even got 
the transgender decision and Obergefell and Roe. They were against settled law. I mean, it was a nine to nothing decision in in the 1970s in the Supreme Court against gay marriage. How could a lower court push back? But no, they're always able to, the left is able to do that. They do what they need to do. And then once it percolates enough, it wears down the Republican judges on the Supreme Court and they legitimize it. They let it stew. They don't overturn them. We've seen that a lot this term. So it's not just the bad rulings, but it's the shadow docket. They, they, they don't grant cert. They don't take it up. And conversely, if you have once in a while a good lower court opinion, that they'll take up immediately. You will never. I mean, remember, I wrote this at a time people were shocked. Um, oh my gosh, Daniel, how could you say when we're on the cusp of remaking the Supreme Court that it doesn't matter? Here's my article from November 15th, 2016. Remember, the euphoria among Republicans after Trump was elected, surprisingly. According to exit polls, 75% of Trump voters ranked the future of the Supreme Court as an important factor in their vote. So now that Republicans won this election, does it mean courts are automatically fixed and we are out of the danger zone? Do we just fill Scalia's seat with an originalist and live happily ever after? Not so fast. Throughout the 2016 presidential campaign, there was a ubiquitous talking point among conservatives that the Supreme Court is deadlocked 4-4. to The pundit class said that this election would determine the future of our society, not because of who became president, but primarily because of the second degree effect of his ability to make the next Supreme Court appointment. These same talking heads seem to think that as long as Trump fills Scalia's seat, we are on our way to the promised land. While I certainly applaud the focus on picking originalist judges or blocking bad judges as part of the solution, the absence of any education about the role of the court in the first place obfuscates two important facts. Number one, the federal judiciary is not deadlocked. It is already lost. And number two, Congress sits atop the judiciary, not the other way around. Congress can rein in the courts and completely obliterate the lower courts. Any debate over the courts must center around the future of the entire judiciary and its role in our society, not just the question of filling a vacancy. Republicans must harness this once-in-a-generation opportunity with control of the federal government and a record number of state governments to finally solve the growing constitutional crisis of judicial supremacy. In addition to the long-form discussion in my book, I posted a column several months ago detailing 12 reasons why the federal judiciary is irremediably broken, irrespective of who won this election. Without rehashing the same points, there are a couple of important observations that are worth raising in light of the new opportunity. Number one, Anthony Kennedy. It is downright offensive to see so many conservatives count Anthony Kennedy among the originalists on a deadlock court. In case some conservatives haven't noticed, Kennedy did redefine the building block of all civilization last year. Now, folks, I'm just going to interject. This uh, this point is obviously outdated because ultimately Kennedy also retired and we did fill that seat. But you're going to see the next points I make. On top of the liberal Anthony Kennedy is the unreliable and calculating Chief Justice John Roberts. It's not just the Obamacare cases where he where he did us in. Anyone who has watched Roberts carefully would notice that he has signed on to some other very consequentially bad decisions, gutting Arizona's immigration law, redefining the Eighth Amendment, for example. More importantly, Roberts has refused to grant cert to appeals from bad lower court decisions. 
We can also glean from Roberts's reluctance to issue injunctions against some lower court rulings that he believes in a modest Supreme Court in all the wrong ways, the same mentality that drove him to preserve Obamacare. Roberts doesn't want the court to make waves in any direction. He would have been a good chief justice 100 years ago, predating the coup against our Constitution. But given that the left has created decades of post-constitutional precedent, particularly as it relates to the 14th Amendment and statutory construction in general, in conjunction with a capricious bench of lower courts, you need a Supreme Court to aggressively rein them in and reverse the judicial tyranny of the past and current courts. Roberts is not that man. So, um, here, uh, just, just trying to skip, skip around here. Um, I obviously talk about the lower courts, um, that people are forgetting about the lower courts and their influence. And I notice that I say, I literally call, I literally called this. I said, It's important to remember that even the best case scenario, that Trump appoints a Clarence Thomas 2.0 to replace Scalia, and then the ability to appoint another originalist in the event one of the liberals liberals retire or dies. And I said that very sarcastically because I knew we were never going to appoint another Thomas, and they were all, you know, these Weasley, Kavanaugh type of people. I asked, guess who will become the new swing vote? John Roberts. This is what always happens. The judiciary has been an elusive game of drinking coffee with a fork for conservatives. We will never win that game once we agree to the premise of judicial supremacy over Congress and the states and that there is nothing that can be done about it other than appointing better judges or amending the Constitution. And then I ended off with this. While everyone widely expects Trump to have a mandate to appoint a true originalist, it will not come without a fight. Republicans will have to either abolish the filibuster or use procedural strong-arm tactics to confirm someone the left truly fears. Then what happens when Republicans get everything they want and still lose almost every major case thanks to Kennedy and the lower courts and really just update that, you know, three year, three and a half years later for Roberts – Republicans would have legitimized the specter of the courts as the final arbiter of our society by so frantically trying to fill the seat and then still lose on the critical cases anyway. Democrats and the media will say, look, you guys got what you wanted. There is no reason to complain about the courts. Folks, I, I rarely do that to brag, but I mean, dude, don't say I didn't, I, I didn't tell you so. So naturally, everyone's going to ask me where we go from here. Now, I don't have the answers as to where we go societally when it comes to everything we're dealing with. The assault, you know, just our streets and everything. We're, we're going to tackle each one at a time. And I really apologize. I just I have a limited number of hours in the day that then now you have the media pushing lockdown again, all these phony metrics. I was going to have a special guest on today to discuss that. Hopefully we'll do it again tomorrow. I just had to push it off. It's just I mean, it's one thing after another. The hits keep coming. But again, in some ways, I'm happy this is happening. I want you guys to stop this business of just vote for Trump in November and Republicans and we'll live happily ever after. I'm not saying not to do that. Go do that. Fine. But that can't be the only thing you do. Nothing will change. As it relates to the courts, now is the time for Trump to tell the courts to go to hell. The same way the courts are telling him to go to hell. Here's what 
here's what Attorney General Barr needs to explain in a speech. Defying a court means if a court grant, you know, the executive branch locks someone up or, you know, tries to do capital punishment and a court grants them a reprieve. John Doe, it's individualized case. You're taking away life, literally life and liberty. Now, you might be justified in doing it and the court might be wrong in their opinion, but that is the job of a court. You need a court to convict someone. That's our system. Okay. What a court does not do is admit a transgender into a a female sports team. What a court does not do is issue visas and work permits and social security cards to illegal aliens. What a court does not do is issue marriage licenses. Okay. Those are privileges done by the executive branch. This is what our founders envisioned. The same way the courts push back, he has an, and in this case, he has an obligation. Like, there's one thing if, by law, Trump doesn't have to do something, and a court says you need to do something. DACA is different, because the law says you cannot, you mustn't grant them the documents, and the court's saying you must. It's two levels over. Trump needs to say, look, I got to follow the law. Now, I think Trump should indulge it halfway. Issue another APA. And follow their procedure, do a write-up, but call your shot and give a speech and lay a, draw a mark in the sand and say, this is it. I don't have to keep getting your approval and you screw with it. I did it. This is done. It's mentally ill to say that Obama could illegally promulgate something and I can't take it back when it violates sovereignty of the nation. I will not even send down DOJ lawyers to indulge your stupid lawsuit. Think about it. The presidents of both parties do this every day. Every term, I mean. With Congress. They subpoena executive officials. They're like, screw you, I'm not indulging that. Separation of powers. Everyone understands separation of powers. Somehow with the unelected uh, courts that are comparatively weaker, as Hamilton said in Federalist 78, somehow the courts are God? No! That's why they're not elected. They can't be unelected and stronger. No! They're unelected because they're weaker. There was no need to elect them. That's the lesson. That's what he needs to do. You understand the difference between this and a criminal conviction. Hamilton said in Federalist 81 that the the concern of judicial tyranny is a phantom Quote a phantom because of its in its total incapacity to support its usurpations by force. I understand we haven't really done this since Lincoln. I understand it's not Trump's fault that the judicial supremacism reached a feverish pitch on his watch, but he is confronted with that. And if he doesn't respond to it, our country's lost. It's not just this, it's every aspect of immigration law they're doing it to. They're doing it to every aspect of his energy and environmental policies. They're creating a third and fourth term for Obama. You can't do that. It can't go on. As Lincoln said in his debate with Stephen Douglas, the sixth debate in 1858 in Illinois, courts can adjudicate individual cases. But if they seek to use those rulings as a way of settling political 
policy across the nation, it should never be regarded as, quote, a political rule to be binding on the members of Congress and the president to favor no measure that does not actually concur with the principles of that decision. Edward Bates, his attorney general, explained, that is the sum of its judicial powers, ample and efficient for all the purposes of distributive justice among individual parties, but powerless to impose rules of action and of judgment upon the other departments. That is the system we adopted. We did not adopt a judicial veto. That was the Council of Revision and it was rejected. And like I said, even that, that was instead and concurrent with the presidential veto. So it's not like you had a presidential veto and then judicial veto. It's you had the Council of Revision was the president and the Supreme Court together would veto Congress. And also that was when Congress was insanely power powerful under that construction. Congress under that original, it was a whole, it was part of a whole scheme they never adopted. Congress was bicameral, right? Because right now you have the House and the Senate. That's a huge check and balance. To get something past both is huge, right? So it was unicameral. It was elected the same way, you know, because now you have one's the, especially before the 17th Amendment, you know, one's the, um, the people and one's the state legislatures. And also they had veto power over states. They literally, like Congress could veto a state law under that. So it was enormously powerful and you didn't even have one check on them. They were creating for the first time the first check So the first stab at it was a joint presidential Supreme Court thing. The notion that that you'd have a bicameral Congress to pass immigration laws and they wouldn't veto states. And you already have a presidential veto, but the president signs it into law. That you would then have a unilateral, irrevocable judiciary veto on that is utterly insane. It's not that hard to explain. But Trump tweets out, Oh, elect me, more judges. Are you retarded? Come on. It's the same game like a dog, like Pavlov's dog. He just, he just keeps going at it. I didn't elect him to make establishment Republican talking points great again. We wanted him to nullify them, to move us in a different direction. If the left is engaging in civil disobedience against the law on the courts, at least push back and use your lawful executive powers to follow the law. And again, I'm not asking him to actively do something. It's passive. It's just don't take an active approach to actively violate a law to give effect to a phony court ruling. So at least when the DACA things come up for renewal... If you don't want to yank them back, but at least when they come up for renewal, just don't renew it. But of course, Trump loves the, 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 the dreamers. Forget about judicial supremacy as, as a matter of policy. He wouldn't do it. And by the way, I'm not defending the courts here. They have no right to make an inquiry into this. They have no standing, no anything. I mean, they gave standing to a college to sue to grant rights to illegal aliens. It's, it's, it's literally against 130 years of case law and standing. But I will say this, and, and this has happened before, they do stupid things in the administration. Like, rather than just saying this is unlawful, they're like, well, we don't really want to get rid of it, but we think the Fifth Circuit is going to tell us it's unlawful, so that's why we're getting rid of it. 
But they didn't say that they felt it was all. I mean, they twisted themselves into a pretzel. They did the same thing with the census. They like hid from them. Like uh, they hid the reason why they wanted to do it. Just say it all openly. Now, again, that, that doesn't give the courts an excuse to get involved. I'm not defending them, but I'm just saying again, like, this is the problem. Mark my words, I've been right on every prediction I've made with the courts. If you think all you need to do is just vote Republican in November, you're missing something. We need to push back with as much force as the left is engaging in anarchy. I'm not saying for us to engage in anarchy. Be very careful with what I'm saying. I am actually saying to follow the law. The law is not the courts. The law is the law. This is different than them declining to convict or overturning a conviction and you go and you punish the guy anyway. That's individualized, it's personal liberty, and it's a criminal conviction, which is the province of a court. This is a privilege to foreign nationals that whether you like it or not, have no right to it, governing executive policies of visa visa issuance for a broad policy. And again, DACA is the policy that brought us the worst gang crisis in a generation. Folks, there's so much more to talk about. Send this show to 50, 100 of your friends, relatives. There's nothing quite like this show, and we want to expand it. People need to hear the truth. We're getting out. Tucker, Rush are trying, you know, starting to uh, focus on some of our work. It's a slow process, but we got to get the truth out. We got to reestablish the rule of law in America. 